coming to you from the badlands of Texas all the way around the world. You're listening or you're watching Midnight Radio. Hello, friends. How are you doing tonight? I'll tell you what. Here's what I plan on tonight. And if this door swings wide open with my son running through yelling about Mario Brothers, that's because I don't remember if I remembered if I remembered to lock the door or not. I'm not sure. So I have the letter written by Stephen Smith's mother to the FBI. Today, I'm going to go over that. But first thing I want to go over, I want to go over some news stories, some news stories that are happening right now. So I'm going to go over those first. And uh, here's the first one. And I didn't hear about this when it first happened, and I doubt you did either because of the way the lame media is. Check this out. All three of these girls are deceased. Why? They were found in a neighbor's pond where all were strangled. All right, this is from March 25th. Three young Texas girls. Actually, let me go ahead and play this for you. I'll play this video right now, and we'll talk about it. We have a very sad update tonight on a story we first reported on last summer. In July of 2022, three siblings reported missing were found dead inside a nearby pond. That news shocked the entire community and the Atlanta school district where those children attended class. Now we're learning the Texas Rangers are investigating their deaths as a homicide after autopsy reports returned showing evidence of strangulation. The girls also suffered some lacerations to their faces. Authorities say multiple witness statements have been obtained. DNA testing is ongoing and that investigation will continue. If anybody has any information about their deaths, call Texas Ranger Josh Mason at 903-255-5727. They've conducted interviews and are testing DNA evidence, but no details were released about whether investigators have identified any suspects or potential motive. These three sisters all three of them strangled to death. What are the odds? Who could have done something like this? This reminds me of what happened to Chicago back in the 70s. The victims have been identified as nine-year-old. Zai Ariel Robinson, Oliver, eight-year-old Amaya Hughes, and five-year-old Tamara Robinson Oliver. Their cousin... Paris Props was responsible for watching them while their mother was at work, July 29, 2022. But around 9 p.m. that evening, Props reported the girls missing. Hours later, authorities recovered the girls' bodies from a neighbor's pond. Autopsies revealed evidence of strangulation and lacerations to the girls' faces. Police conducted interviews and are testing DNA evidence, but no details were released about whether investigators have investigated any suspects or a potential motive. Can you guys can't see that very good? Let me see. There, that's better. Search around the pond identified a pair of shoes, clothing scattered near the shoreline and in the water. An abandoned bicycle is also located on the scene. The county sheriff said it was not clear why the girls were at the pond. They have no idea what they were doing there. The girl's mother, 28-year-old, Shamanique Oliver Wilkinson described her pain on social media shortly after the girl's the death. Lord, please, and I mean, please, I want my kids back. This hurt. 
and words can't explain the pain I'm going through. I just want my baby girls back in my arms. A GoFundMe page was launched over the summer to help raise money for the sisters' memorial expenses. And I went to that, and I was shocked. It was $18,000 raised out of $25,000. Shocked that it hasn't reached the amount because, well, nobody's been talking about this. That's why. There's no suspects, no leads, no anything. Hello. There's Nancy Grace looking about 30 years younger. So there's that story for you. Mississippi woman shoots husband dead on Facebook Live. Have you heard about this? Of course, they like to talk about gun violence here in America by the numbers. That's not what this story is about. At all. Mississippi woman allegedly fatally shot her husband while she was live streaming on Facebook Live, according to the police. All right. Now, I was able to see... I got a message from somebody who was on that Facebook live and saw it live. And he said, this is what you heard. This is what you saw on the live. You saw the woman talking with her mother. Her mother was there too. And it was a domestic excuse. It was a domestic dispute. And the woman was there on Facebook talking to her mother before the man got home. Talking about, well... Let me read the rest of this. Officers in Lowden's County, along with the, along the Mississippi-Alabama border, were alerted to a domestic violence call at 500 Green Tree at about 7.42 a.m. on Saturday, March 25th. When Lowden's County Sheriff police arrived, they arrested Khadijah Michelle Brown, 28, and charged her with murder after a man was found dead inside the home. The 28-year-old victim who lived in the home with Brown died from a single gunshot wound, and it appeared as though they'd been involved in an argument that turned physical. Now, according to what I heard, it was a one-way argument with him, her yelling at him. Officers added the shooting was recorded on Facebook Live, according to a CBS affiliate. Police confirmed the victim was Brown's husband. Now, he says something here. This was a tragic and senseless murder. When I think of senseless murders... I'm thinking of no motive present. I'm no motive present and almost, you know, not even a suspect, senseless. This doesn't seem senseless, although it is very tragic to me. That's just my opinion. Fortunately, Brown is in custody, and we look forward to the criminal justice system holding her accountable. I'm going to go down here. Ah, here it is. This is someone who saw it. The video was like a Saturday Night Live skit. The wife is complaining about her husband and being egged on by her mother. Seems he stays out late and helps other people, but doesn't help her. So when he arrives, they have a rather one-sided argument. He's talking on his cell while she's repeating things her mother tells her. Then as he tries to leave, she starts slapping him. Unfortunately, the screen goes black at that point but we can hear them what's still going on a gun goes off and we hear her screaming in a 
break glass frequency. Not what I expected at all. This is all on her. And someone says, the difference between in-laws and outlaws. Outlaws are wanted by somebody. Strange. So now you can murder someone on Facebook, a video on social media, and Newsweek. News will publish that murder. Just a little on the strange side. Nefarious. Some, hmm. All right. Moving right along. We are going to talk about the murders in Nashville. There's a school shooting there. We're going to go into that right after. Right after this, as a matter of fact. Woman's body, possibly inside Oklahoma City home for days before being found during a barricade situation. Yeah, Mecca, and the tactical team has left the scene, but police are still here. We're going to let you take a look at that house. Now, they got the call that there might be a dead body, and when they arrived, there was a man in the house, but he wouldn't open the door for them. They were able to get that suspect to slowly back out to them. You'll see that here in a sec. First, they were communicating with him for hours before they were actually able to breach that door and get the man out. They said they talked to him on the phone, but at one point, you could hear them uh, saying things to him over a speaker of some sort after they say his phone ran out of battery. Police tell us the man was saying he had a shotgun, and they heard multiple shots go off in the house, but they haven't confirmed what weapon he had when we talked to them. Homicide investigators are out here now, and they tell us they don't know the cause of death for the woman that they found dead. We're told they were boyfriend and girlfriend by police. Now, neighbors say they could hear police talking to the man, and one neighbor described their worry while watching the scene, but felt police had it under control. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a little scary, but, I mean, I don't feel in danger. We could hear them trying to talk him and coax him out of the house. We're told that suspect is uninjured and in custody. Beautiful day out there, really. Police say they believe the shooting victim's body was inside for days before law enforcement was involved in a barricade situation. Around 10.45 a.m., police responded to a home on the 4200 block of Antadena Avenue near Northwest. It doesn't matter where it was. A news release states that a witness called police after leaving a home where they saw a possible dead person inside, so they saw it. When officers arrived, they tried to contact a person inside the home, but he refused to come out. The OKC Police Department tactical unit responded and took him into custody after an hours-long barricade situation. Police also found a dead victim inside the home with an apparent gunshot wound. Police identified the victim as Amanda Lene Miller, 40. The news release states that investigators learned the suspect and the victim were dating and had a disagreement when the suspect shot her with a shotgun. Police said they believe the shooting happened several days before the standoff situation. Authorities booked the suspect into the detention center on a complaint of first-degree murder. He's not, they have not released the suspect's name because formal charges have not been filed. All right, let's look at this right here. Nashville, have you heard about this? Seven people are dead. I'm also getting reports that there are six people, including three children at the Covenant School on Monday morning after a shooting inside the building. The adult staff members are also, three adult staff members are also dead. The shooter, who is also dead, is identified as Audrey Hell, 28. This person has 
no criminal history. At one point, the shooter was a student at the school. Police said Hell was a transgender. Those that died are identified as Evelyn, Decos, 9, Haley Scruggs, 9, William Kinley, 9, Cynthia Peak, 61, Catherine Kunch, 60, Mike Hill, age 61. So young. All right. I got a video about this. This was four hours ago, three children. They're saying three children, but it has gone higher than that now. So we have identified the suspect. It's a 28-year-old female white, uh, actually a Nashvilleian, uh, or lives in the Nashville area. Uh, we are having ongoing investigation as it pertains to her at this Located time. Located her place of um, where she lived. And, and you have officers there. You we have. There. We have. Was she wearing body armor? Was she wearing body armor? I can't say uh, that far into the investigation. I I don't remember seeing it, but I can't say for certain if she had body armor on or not. Does she have any connection to the church? From my initial findings is that at one point she was a student at that school, uh, but unsure what year, all of that. But that's what I've been told so far. Investigations are still going on at this point. Our federal partners, uh, our state partners, we're all looking into that to see uh, exactly. This is uh, still fluid at the time, but we're uh, looking at everything. I just want to speak very briefly about the school shooting. All right. National school shooting. Six killed, including three students. Shooter, shooter dead. There's some more information. The victims were killed in the attack on the Covenant School. Authorities said Nashville police say officers engaged with and killed the shooter, identified as a 28-year-old female carrying two assault-type rifles and a handgun. The shooter, the shooter was identified as Audrey Hill, a Nashville resident who identified as a transgender woman. Investigators were investigating a home connected to her. National Police Chief John Drake said Hell possibly prepared for the shooting, including having written a manifesto. We've also determined that there were maps drawn of the school in detail of surveillance entry points. At one point, she was a student of the school. He said there was a vehicle nearby that gave us a clue as to who she was. I wonder if she ever worked there is what I want to know. Did she work there? You know, I've never heard of a woman being a school shooter, but I don't know if being transgendered matters. Police say the shooter entered the building through a side door, fired shots before moving to the second floor where Hell was confronted by responding officers. They don't believe she was wearing any body armor. Hell was armed with two AR-style weapons, including a rifle and pistol. A, how's an AR pistol and a handgun. Two of the weapons may have been purchased legally in the Nashville area. Investigators were probably a possible theory for a motive, but did not disclose any details. If we, if I hear about it, I will let you know here. Officials of the medical center say three children, students were transported. 
with gunshot wounds. All three were pronounced dead after arrival. The three more adults were also pronounced dead following the attack, and all three were staff at the school. Covenant School is a private Christian institution for students up to sixth grade, according to this website. So this person would have been there when they were sixth grade. Horrible story. Horrible story. Let's move on to our next one. One more, and then we're going to go over this Sandy Smith, who's Stephen's mother, a letter that she wrote to the FBI when she wasn't, when she didn't feel, uh, she felt actually that it was all being covered up by SLED and the local law enforcement and even even the coroner's office, or the medical examiner that is. We're going to go over that, and it, it totally made me see things in a different way. It started connecting some dots to me and for me. We're going to go over that after this story right here. Florida plastic surgeon accused of killing lawyer, last seen taking bathroom break at work. He, he was on a bathroom break when he vanished at his law firm, which represents defendants being sued by the alleged killer. Dr. Thomas Kozowski, 44, was arrested and charged with the murder of attorney Stephen Cousy on Saturday after the Tampa-based lawyer was last seen Tuesday at his job at Blanchard Law, according to Largo Police. Kuzik's body is yet to be found, but pools of blood were uncovered in a bathroom at work, according to authorities. The victim's wallet, phone, and keys were also left behind in the law office, as well as his car in the parking lot. During the investigation, there was a strong chemical odor in the men's bathroom of the office and small drops of blood. A subsequent forensic investigation revealed a significant amount of blood in the same bathroom. Jake Blanchard, the firm's managing partner, said that Kuzi 41 went to the bathroom during work Tuesday and hasn't been seen since. His boss reported him missing in the office lobby quickly turned into a crime scene a suspicious person and car were seen around the, the law office and a search for kazowski's tarpon springs home found evidence that linked him to the murder police said though further information was not yet disclosed blanchard law had been representing kazowski's former employer the Lawfer Institute for Plastic Surgery and co-workers in a lawsuit he lodged against them four years ago and it's still dragging on. The 2019 lawsuit claims the woman who was assigned by the plastic surgeon group to handle Kozowski's insurance billing didn't file claims and lied to patients, costing the surgeon tens of thousands of dollars and leading to negative reviews online. Dr. K's promising young career has essentially been obliterated by the woman's actions. Kozowski's lawsuit contends through no fault of his own. His career was put directly in jeopardy and his reputation has been deeply tarnished. He began with the Laffer Institute in 2016 before leaving in 2018 and starting his own practice.
Dr. K's promising young career has essentially been obliterated. Okay, he began with the Laugher Institute in 2016 before leaving in 2018, starting his own. The doctor was in Pinellas County Jail on Sunday on a first-degree murder charge. Well, this one lies squarely on him. Now his career truly is over. He was a class president when he attended the medical school at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. The Tampa Bay Times reported citing a news release from when he was hired at Laufer. The news release also reportedly described Kozowski as an innovative and accomplished plastic surgeon who understands the art and science of the human body and how to redefine beauty for each and every patient. Not anymore. All right, some of you might have said, and I don't know, maybe you did there in the chat room, I didn't see, talking about school shootings. I don't remember a female ever being a school shooter, but you're right. There was a redheaded female that was the first school shooter. I believe she was 14 years old. There's a documentary about it I did watch. And it seems, in that case, there is a strong, a strong evidence that she was molested by her father. Makes me wonder if there's molestation involved in the school shooting that happened in Nashville. Although I have no idea. And nor will we for a while. I believe it happened in the early 70s. Actually, hold on, I got it right here. There was a song made about it called I Don't Like Mondays, which I play a lot on our radio station, actually, whenever I do a set. 19, Laura Darn, no. If you type in I Don't Like Mondays, that was the first one. And there's another one here, and they made a movie about it. Let's see. Her name, not the first one, but another school shooter, her name was Lori Dan in 1988. Valerie Bertinelli starred in a movie based on the incident. So there you go. All right. I believe that's all I have in that regard. Let's go over this letter from Stephen Smith's mother. Sandra Smith. To the FBI headquarters. Dear sir, ma'am, my family is in desperate need of your help. My 19-year-old son, Stephen Nicholas Smith, was murdered on July 8, 2015 in Hampton County, South Carolina. It has been apparent from the first week of this investigation that authorities are covering up critical evidence and we no longer know who to trust. Stephen's father, my ex-husband, who is now deceased, and I were first told that our son was shot to death after running out of gas in the early hours of the morning and exiting his vehicle. Later that day, we were told it was a hit and run. Finally, investigators determined he was beaten to death. He was attacked so violently that the entire side of his face was rebuilt with putty for his funeral. Hampton investigators asked us at the time to continue to publicly say it was a hit and run. They claimed they didn't want the killer to know they were looking for him. There, they have, there have been no named suspects. The first call my family received after the murder was from authorities notifying us of Stephen's death. The second one very, the second one came very quickly the same morning from solicitor Randolph Murdaugh. In fact, 
He called my ex-husband's cell phone as we waited in the police station for a positive identification. He said he heard of the case and was interested in working pro bono as a liaison between the family and investigators. Stephen's father accepted the offer, although we were unsure why Mr. Murdoch wanted to help us. We also weren't sure how he found out so quickly, even before it was confirmed to be our son. Surprisingly, after just a few interactions, Mr. Murdoch stopped returning our calls. Within days of our son's death, Stephen's twin sister, Stephanie, was approached multiple times by peers telling her that Solicitor Murdoch's nephews were responsible. As a family, it was suspicious to us since he had taken such an immediate interest in this case and then became unreachable so quickly. These suspicions reached new heights weeks later when Stephanie's older brother Chris was approached at work by a young man he did not know. The person told Chris he was present when Stephen was murdered and witnessed everything firsthand. He said that Solicitor Murdaugh's nephew, Buster Murdaugh, who was graduated with Stephen, beat Stephen to death with a baseball bat. You know, ladies and gentlemen, something dawned on me. We're talking about paint. I know a lot of baseball bats that have blue paint on it. It would have been very thin. There would have been a difference between the blue paint on a baseball bat and the blue paint from a car. It would have been very thin, very thin. Uh, we're assuming it's an aluminum baseball bat. He claimed it was because Stephen was gay. Stephen was, in fact, gay. The witnesses said that the witness said they were out smashing mailboxes, which is what I thought when I looked at everything. They were smashing mailboxes when they came upon Stephen, and Buster seized the opportunity. The young man, man told Chris that Buster threatened to kill him if he ever spoke up. This information was given to investigators, but nothing has come of it. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, why would somebody say something like that? Go up to the sister of a murdered boy. Why would somebody say that if it wasn't true? All right? And you know what? If Buster is the one that committed this murder, and that's later found out with investigations, I don't give a damn what kind of threat he gives about anybody else. It's not defamation because he did it. In reviewing a copy of the 911 dispatch log, which I've enclosed, tab A, page 2, I, find, I found that the first responding officer, Michael Bridges, arrived on the scene within a minute of 911's dispatch, even though in the Hampton County Sheriff's Office incident report, tab B, he claimed to have driven around for a while trying to find my son's body. The second officer, Jason Eubanks, arrived within two minutes. This is suspicious to me because the area where my son was placed is extremely rural. Cops do not patrol that area frequently, and it's not likely an officer was placed. And it's not likely an officer, much less two, would co coincidentally be patrolling there prior to 5 a.m. They had to be in that area at the time for a reason. I suspect 
They were there because they had already known, they already knew Stephen was there, and I suspect the Murdoughs were the ones who told them. The Murdoughs are probably the most prominent family in Hampton County. Stephen had on more than one occasion mentioned to friends and his twin sister that he was involved romantically with someone from a prominent family in the county who was hiding his sexuality. He said that it would shock people to know that this person was gay. We suspect this could be the young man Stephen was referring to, though he never named him. At the beginning of the investigation, officers told us they would not have access to Stephen's text messages for approximately a year. They claimed they would have, they would have to send the phone to Apple to override the security features. We found out months later the phone had never been sent to Apple. Often investigators claimed it was uncertain which department had the phone. They have since produced the phone, which they still have not sent to Apple, but still claim they cannot access it. We feared then and still fear now that they have and will continue to delete critical information from the phone. It has already been over a year, and we have no knowledge of who Stephen interacted with by phone call or text prior to his murder. Since the murder, Buster has gotten rid of his old vehicle, which is critical, because according to the witnesses who approached Chris, they were traveling in Buster's old vehicle that night. It's also critical because Stephen was found three miles from his vehicle on the morning of his murder. There was no blood splatter on the crime scene despite his brutal beating, which makes it clear he was transported to that site. We believe there is DNA in Buster's old vehicle. I think it's important to note that Stephen's wallet was found in his own vehicle and his gas cap was open, further suggesting he did not leave willingly tab C. Stephen was very skittish and would never have walked down the road in the dark it is not likely he would have opened his car door except to accept assistance from someone he didn't know especially alone in a dark country road he was even known to walk through the woods during the day to stay out of sight his autopsy shows his toxicology reports were negative for drugs and alcohol so i have no reason to believe he would have done something so completely out of character Since Stephen was placed in the, on the highway, it became a highway patrol investigation. We thought this was beneficial to Stephen, since local authorities obviously had their own agenda. However, this did not help our case at all. The case was mysteriously bounced from investigator to investigator without reasons or notification. It would repeatedly get to a certain point, then the assigned investigators would blow out, perhaps not wanting to take on Solicitor Murdoch. I was approached in September 2015 by a gentleman claiming to know about a criminal case decades ago that was swept under a rug to protect a different member of the Murdoch family. This came as no surprise to me. I see history repeating itself with my son. No one here is trying to solve our case. Therefore, I contacted Governor Nikki Haley that same month with a plea for help. I wrote a letter telling her basically word for word the story I've just explained to you. She responded promptly and assigned the case to new investigators. While it appeared to be the answer to our prayers, very little progress has been made, and they say they have exhausted their leads. I cannot fathom how that is possible. Our concerns regarding Solicitor Murdaugh and his family have not 
been investigated despite witness accounts, which include an alleged conversation between a schoolmate of Buster's little brother, Paul, and school officials. I was told he claimed of knowledge of the murder and implicated Buster as a murderer. Those school officials were said to have discussed the statement with the student's family, not police. We've heard no further follow-up to this situation. Interestingly, according to my source, Paul was transferred from that school to a private school after the alleged statement. We believe Solicitor Murdoch's influence extends to the pathologist, Dr. Aaron Presnell of MUSC, who performed Stephen's autopsy D. That's what I thought too, guys. Uh, through Deputy Coroner Kelly Green and SLED Agent Brittany Burke, who were both present for the autopsy, and have gone on the record to state that neither made any mention of a car striking Stephen D. Stephen. Dr. Presnell ruled his death a hit and run. She was combative with the Highway Department investigator Todd Proctor regarding her findings when he pointed out that the only human trauma was to Stephen's head. He asked how he came to that conclusion. He asked how she came to that conclusion, and she said it was because he was found in the road. That alone was her reason. She insisted hit and run despite the fact that neither his injuries nor the crime scene support that finding. The coroner disagrees with her determination, and it is documented multiple times in the case file that there were no skid marks or vehicle debris consistent with a hit and run at the crime scene, tabs EFD. Dr. Presnell herself confirmed to investigator Proctor that she found no glass or other fragments on the body to suggest a hit and run. It is simply not possible that a vehicle struck solely his head. Coroner Ernie Washington confirmed investigator Proctor, informed investigator Proctor that Dr. Presnell told him she would change her report to read however he wanted it. Copies of investigator Proctor's summary notes was documented. His discussions with Dr. Presnell and Coroner Washington are enclosed, tabs F and G. We desperately need your help. The investigators, the investigation is being deliberately derailed. We need someone to hold the investigators accountable and access Stephen's phone. Solicitor Murdoch is widely known, and it appears that is playing to his advantage. We need someone who doesn't care about his family name to take this case seriously. In 2016, I wrote to Attorney General Loretta Lynch in the hopes that she could and would help us, but there has been no response. I've enclosed the key documents I mentioned above, but I can provide copies of all the case documents I have at your request. We also have new information, which we discovered in the past few weeks that we feel is critical to this case. I, however, however, I no longer trust the investigators here. I'm holding it as I wait for your response. I can be reached at, and there's your phone number. I thank you sincerely, Sandra Smith. All right, so some things we take away from this. Notice she didn't talk about didn't talk about Mark Bickard at all. So what can you gather from her not talking about Mark Bickard at all? She doesn't think that Mark Bickard did this. But we can also take it from what I've heard from Stephanie Smith, 
Stephen's sister, her and Mark don't get along very well, of course. After what he put on Facebook, I can understand why. They're both pointing fingers. But we look at this, and the question we had before is, why are the Murdochs, where was the point that the Murdochs were brought into this? To say, hey, it might be them. And now, I'm kind of starting to see it. I am kind of starting to see it. So we are working on getting a Mark Bickard inter- interview. And uh, when I hear anything more about that, I will let you know. Until then, if I get any new things, I'll let you know about that too. Now, I have been looking at the two boys that were said to have been involved. Basically, in the investigation report, and this was through the grapevine. Let me bring up their names real quick. Let me bring it up. So we can talk about that. If you guys want to call in and talk about that, about this, or any of the other show uh, stories we've had tonight, the number is 325-261-0892 if you want to call in. Otherwise... Read in the chat room. Talking about sending stuff. I think you guys are talking about crime scene photos. No need to send those for me. I have them. All right. So also what I have is this. Oh, yeah, I have the photos. All right, so what I'm looking for is the name of the boys. Got more info from the blue chip paint. All right. I'm going to go ahead and look. Oh, here we go, Google Drive. Here we go. The name of the boys are... Kenneth Keith Anthony Cook. And um, the Cooks. So, yeah. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in tonight. I appreciate it very much. I'd like to go over this information with you. Of course, the information that I got today actually came from the community. It came from our Discord, to be exact. So if you would like to become a, a member of Midnight Radio, you'll have access to our Discord. If you're a Midnighter or a Midnight Rider, then you will have access to our Discord, and you'll be able to get this information 
ahead of time. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in. Till next time, all my best.